Good morning. Thank you for being here. We, uh, I'm actually proud to announce, see these cameras over here? This is actually the first day we're doing a live broadcast of our services. Yeah, so uh, we need to, I, I just am gonna need a couple of you to say after service, to, I need to take a picture and put your face on top of each of these cameras or I'm gonna forget to look at them. So anyway, thank you for being here. Um, I wanna share with you one of what is maybe one of the most powerful quotes I was ever, I was ever uh, given, but also it was one of the sternest lectures that I've ever been put through. And it came from my high school cross country coach. Okay, I had, I, I know this is hard to believe because I've got like the body of a gazelle slash cheetah, but I was not very good at cross country. And, and I was so not good at cross country that one day I finally went to my cross country coach and I just went, listen, thinking about quitting because this just isn't, this isn't my thing. You know, I, I don't know if you've noticed coach. He's like, oh, I noticed you're not good at it. And um, so in front of the entire team, you know, when, you know, when somebody's talking to everybody, but you know, they're talking really about you. That was this. Okay. So kind of in front of the team, he said, you know, some of you are, are just like losing momentum when it comes across country. And um, I just wanna make some observations. And then he, he said this quote, he said, let me just start with this. For every second too fast that you go in the first mile of the race, cause in, in high school cross country, it's a 5K. So 3.1 or 3.2 miles. I don't even remember. That's probably why I wasn't good at it. Anyway, um, for every second that you go too fast in the first mile, you're gonna go two seconds too slow in the last mile. And I was like, well, that's, that's great coach, what about me? And I realized, oh, he was talking about me. He said, I want to make some observations. Some of you in that first, first stretch of the race, you're highly distracted. Okay. Some of you are waving at the crowd because you, this is a social thing for you. And you just, you're excited that you're being watched. Uh, others of you, you've got new shoes, but you didn't break them in and you didn't practice in them. And Nathan, <laughs> so that was fun. Uh, Nathan, um, you, you've got this thing going on and you and your friends think it's cute to, um, you fly out of the starting, starting gates, okay? So I just, it was a dead sprint. Now let me explain why. We had at a school nearby, the previous year's state champion in cross country. And so I told my friend, I want you to just stand at like the 100 meter make, mark, like the first 100 yards of the race. And remember disposable cameras? Yeah, uh, teenagers will explain those to you at some point. But uh, he would stand there and I said, just get a picture of me. And the reason I wanted him to get a picture is it was the only time during the race I was gonna be in front of the previous year's state champion. But it took sprinting, I mean, look at my legs, okay? Again, like it took sprinting with everything I had just to be in front of this guy. And he said, Nathan, you're winning the first 0.1 miles of a 3.1 mile race. And what do you think the rest of that three miles was like? I mean, just lungs burning. And I thought I was going to follow, like, just like they had paramedics there. I thought I was going to need them right then and there, had to throw up. And that was all by like the 200 meter mark. And so it just didn't go well. Well, it's only now that I can look back and realize that that day, what my cross country coach gave me was not just wisdom for running. But honestly, it could be a sermon for all of us because as I look at Hebrews chapter 11, and as we've talked about it the last few weeks, the writer of Hebrews was writing a letter to some Christians that were tired. 
And some of them were on the verge of just stopping. They were just about done because they were looking at some circumstances that they hoped were gonna be different. They, they had known of Jesus saying he was gonna return and they're looking around and they're looking around and they're looking around and he's just not showing up. And so they shifted to something different, kind of like cross country. Nathan, if you can't win the race, just beat the state champion the first 100 meters. And so what they did is for them, they shifted over to, they thought, oh, maybe angels. Maybe instead of Jesus, we can, we can focus on angels. And that's a real part of the Hebrew letter. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Angels serve their part in God's plan, but Jesus is supreme to all of that. And that's really the message throughout Hebrews. But I thought, man, as much as it was something different for that audience, there's the same dynamic going on, isn't there? We can get so caught up in what is going on right in front of us. And that's maybe never been more true than the last four or five months, has it? We just get so distracted. I mean, I remember back when we first started working with junior hires here at the church. In that first night that we were in charge, I mean, I'm just praying for one kid to show up. Come on, just one. And six showed up that night. We got a whopping six. And then the next week, it doubled. And then the next week, there were even more. And then that fourth week, we had a drop. There were like two less than the previous week before. And it's amazing how when everything's going according to our plan, oh, God is on his throne and my faith is strong. And then, and then that first week that there were two less, I just went, Lord, are you there? Are you, are you even, is your kingdom even moving? Are you even doing anything? And I bring that up because as I've listened and as I've talked and I've even honestly looked in the mirror the last few months, we have moments where our faith can wobble, don't we? I mean, look around and you get news of, of a, a shutdown. I mean, let's even go back before that. I and mean, we've had 10 years in the last four months, haven't we? You know, there was Kobe Bryant. And for many of us who grew up watching him, that was a shock. And then you had coronavirus. And then there were racial tensions. Now the big conversation is, are we going back to school? Are, are my children gonna be doing school from home? Are they gonna be walking back through the doors of a building? Is there gonna be a second shutdown? And there's a very real element that we can tie our faith to the outcome of those things. Some of the most frustrated, angry people, most despairing people that I've heard from over the last four or five months have been Christians. And I think, okay, come on, what happened? I know we all, I know we all hit, we hit a wall sometimes when we get tough news, but come on, what, what happened? And the answer is the same thing happens in all of us. That happens anytime we tie our faith to the what that's going on in front of us and the outcomes of what's going on in front of us. We'll even read our Bibles this way as we've looked at Hebrews chapter 11. It's been amazing. I thought back to when I was a kid and I would read this chapter and I remember, oh, they had people like closing the mouths of lions and quenching the flames and conquering kingdoms and winning battles. And that's what I want my life to look like. But when we look around and we don't see evidence of those things happening, we get a little distraught, don't we? We can be kind of like the government surveyor. There's an old story about a government surveyor. He shows up on a farmer's land and he goes to the front door and tells the farmer, I'm here, I need to survey the land. We might be doing some building and developing on here. And the farmer said, oh, no, you're not. You're not gonna do it. And the government surveyor pulled out his paperwork and he said, you see all this? These are my credentials. This, 
this is what allows me to be here. And this is permission from the government for me to step onto your land. So the farmer reluctantly lets him into the field. And about 30 minutes into it, suddenly there's a bull just coming across the field and it's charging at this government surveyor. And the surveyor yelled out to the farmer, what do I do? And the farmer said, show him your credentials, show him your authority. And yet that's what we do. We point at different things and go, yeah, those are my credentials. Those are why, those are why everything should go well. That's how we look at our lives, that everything should go smoothly because we want it to. And when it doesn't, when life treats us like a bull charging, like it doesn't care about what is going on in our lives, we can tend to start to get apathetic. And that's what we talked about the last couple of weeks that we can get apathetic and we can begin, we can begin to harden inside. And this is what the author of Hebrews is getting at. He's saying to the church, don't get apathetic. Don't let your faith get stolen. Don't, don't lose your joy. Don't lose your peace. So I wanna point you to one thing that he says, or the writer of Hebrews says at the end of chapter 11. It's just one sentence, it's so easy to miss, but it has some huge implications. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 says this. These, that is this list of heroes of the faith that he'd been referencing, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. In other words, the what in life didn't work out, at least not maybe the way we would have hoped for if we were in their shoes. None of them received what was promised. Since God had planned something, listen to this, better, for us, better for us, so that only together with us, they would be made perfect. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So, so there's something better? I mean, I read Hebrews 11, and I, I would love to be able to say about my life, closing the mouths of lions, quenching flames, conquering kingdoms, winning battles, you know, weakness turned into strength. That's something we'd all want. And the writer of Hebrews says, you know, there's something better. There is something better than the, than the what in life and the outcomes of the what and how the what turns out. And so I just want to, I want to point to one person this morning and it's somebody that isn't specifically named in this list in Hebrews chapter 11, but it is somebody that exemplifies what that better is that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. It's a man named John the Baptist. Okay, and John the Baptist, when he showed up, again, he, his name could easily be on this list, but when he showed up, he did something that I just believe serves as a measuring stick for us. As we navigate what's going on in front of us, what is that better than the outcomes of what we're looking at? What is that thing we cling to on a daily basis? And how do you get over when you're over it. And if you look at John the Baptist, it'll make all kinds of sense. Now, John the Baptist, if you read in the beginning of Mark and in the beginning of John, when he showed up, when he showed up, it says the entire Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem went out to him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I pictured like, you've ever played at a creek catching crawdads? Hey, there's like five or six kids there with you. This is what I pictured when I pictured John the Baptist baptizing. 
But if the population estimates are true of that region at that time, then potentially thousands upon thousands of people were going to John the Baptist. Thousands upon thousands, and they were so interested in him. In other words, things were going so well for him. The what of life was just going great. And they asked him, are, are you the Messiah? He said, no, I'm not the Messiah. Are you the, are you the prophet that we've been expecting? Are you, or are you Elijah? He said, no, no, listen to what he said. This is in John chapter one. <clears throat> he said, I, I am the one, I'm sorry, I'm jumping back. The verse up there doesn't say it yet. I'm the one, I'm a voice in the wilderness. And then he sees Jesus in the distance. And you know what he does? For all the people that are staring at him, he goes, look, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Did you catch that? The reason I came baptizing with water was not for the what of my life to go well, not for me to gain a following, not for me to gain influence, but that he, the Lamb of God, would be revealed. That somehow people would open their eyes and see who he is. And you know what happened when he did that? John chapter one tells us two of his followers who heard him say this, they left. Uh-oh. They left. See, that's, that's when the what of life, the outcome I'm hoping for suddenly takes a turn. Oh, wait a second. I was, I was gaining followers. I was gaining in popularity. I was gaining. Everything was going well. Things were going great. There was just this momentum of great stuff. And suddenly, two of them left. <laughs> and that's something I know that if we're all honest, we would fight real hard to keep from happening because we get focused on the what's in life. What's in front of us, I want it to go well. Well, he, let, he loses two followers. Two chapters later, John chapter three, John the Baptist is out baptizing because this is what John the Baptist does. And a couple of his disciples come to him and they say, hey, Rabbi, you see Jesus over there? He's baptizing and his disciples are baptizing. In other words, they're doing the thing that you're known for. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like, we got to one-up them somehow. This is, it doesn't say that. I'm just adding that in. And John replies to him, John chapter three, verse 27. To this, John replied, a person can receive only, there's our word, what? A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You see, you thought you controlled the what in life. You thought you controlled the outcome. I thought I controlled those things. And John says, no, no, no. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Do you notice what happened there? John points out Jesus, loses a couple followers. John is baptizing and he begins to lose people. They say everyone is going to him. 
In other words, John, you, you had all this stuff, the what was going really well. And now it's not going so well. And the outcome of this is going a direction that John, we don't like. And John said, you can only get what is given you from heaven. And John, notice his emphasis, he just shifted. He said, my joy is complete because I heard the voice, not of a what, but of a who. You wanna know what that better faith is that the writer of Hebrews was talking about? Living by faith isn't being pointed at a what. It's being pointed at a who in the midst of the what. In other words, this is not an outcomes thing. My faith does not rise and fall and our faith does not rise and fall on the outcomes of the what that's in front of us. I know that's tough to hear sometimes. It's not an outcomes thing. This is an access thing. You know what John says? He says, listen, it, the what doesn't matter because you have the presence of Jesus in your life. What if that crossed my mind? And what if that crossed your mind the next time they say, we're gonna have to shut down? What if that crossed our mind as we think about whether or not school is gonna start this fall? What if that crossed our mind next time we really didn't feel like hopping on another Zoom call or putting on a mask again? What if that crossed our mind? What if the what isn't the main thing? It's the who in the midst of the what. That changes things, doesn't it? And so with that in mind, let me continue reading what the writer of Hebrews said at the end of chapter 11 in the beginning of chapter 12. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us, they would be made perfect. Therefore, chapter 12, verse one, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now think about that for a minute, a great cloud of witnesses, I don't know how it works, but somehow in some way we are surrounded by a great cloud of people who endured every kind of what and every kind of outcome that we could imagine in this life. And while we point at their success or maybe some of their tragedies in the middle of their what's, they say, yeah, but you know what you got? You got something better. We endured a what, but you have access to a who. You have access to the one we could only see in the distance that we would never encounter in this lifetime. You have something better. So he said, since we're surrounded by that cloud, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on, notice it's a who, on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The pioneer, that is, he began it, the perfecter, he will carry it on, he will complete it. And it has really nothing to do with whether the what in front of us comes out the way we'd like it to. Now that means a couple things for us. The first thing it means is it means that we've gotta come back to this reminder that we've got access. 
We've got access not to a, a choir full of angels, not to this bucket full of miracles and signs and wonders. We've got access to something even greater. We've got access to the Savior. You say, listen, it doesn't matter what the what is because when you've got the presence of that who, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know what it means? It means that a Zoom call, right? We've all talked about being Zoomed out. A Zoom call can actually be church. It means if there's another shutdown because you have the presence of who, it means that your own house can become a sanctuary where you worship. It means that putting a mask on is not just some annoyance, but it may be an act of love that protects someone else that might be more vulnerable than you and me. Because you and I have the presence of who in the midst of what? But it means another thing. It means that we are part of something that is so much bigger than I think we realize and that I even realize on a weekly basis. Because when you think about church, who do you think about? I mean, we look around and we think this is church, right? We picture faces. We picture the people that go to the groups we go to, that get on the Zoom calls we get on, that sit in the sanctuary next to us. That's what we think of. And the writer of Hebrews would go, oh, hang on, it's bigger. It's bigger than that. The, the church is not just the present age of the church. He says, there's, there's a whole cloud of witnesses from generations upon generations ago that they actually need to be part of what you have. They, they actually need what you've got. Now, I don't know how this works and this is purely speculation, I'll admit. But I've at times imagined one day when I get to heaven, you know, you think about questions you're gonna ask, people you're gonna find. I've often wondered, I, I wanna find Moses because you know what I wanna say is what, right? Because I'm focused on what. We all get focused on what. Moses, what, what was it like? I mean, as you walked toward the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is closing in because they wanna slaughter you and all the people. I mean, what was it like to watch the ocean just like part? and then form these walls that you just walked through. What was that like? Or, or I imagine like finding King David, because I, I feel like I really resonate with shepherd boy David, just overlooked, smallest of all his brothers. You know, I wanna ask him, what was it like to come face to face with Goliath? And I imagine he'd probably say to me, well, Nathan, most people felt like Goliath to you in your lifetime because you're doing this all the time, right? But what was that like, David? Or, or pick a name from Hebrews 11 or in the Bible. Can you imagine sitting with them and saying, what was that like? And I imagine because of what the writer of Hebrews says that they'd maybe reply back. Listen, I mean, it was cool. I, I don't know if I'd go through it again, but I'm more interested in what it was like for you because you had something better. You, we endured a what, but you had access to who? I mean, what was it like to walk through a global pandemic and know that you had access to God himself? What was it like to have the doors on your church shut where you gather for worship and yet know that you had the presence of a who everywhere you went? What was that like? Tell me, you tell us, is what I imagine them saying.
because we got something better. It's, it's, it's really the potential for us to be able to, in all of the what, look around, and like John the Baptist say, there he is. In the middle of a shutdown, there he is. In the middle of circumstances and a what that I don't like, there he is. I don't like this outcome, but there he is. That's what it looks like. I'll close with this. In 1881, there was an architect and an artist by the name of Antony, Anton, uh, I'm trying to remember his name. These Italian names, I just can't remember. Okay, there was a guy, all right? In, in Barcelona, Spain in 1881, and he, he basically started work on this church called the Church of the Holy Family. That's not how you say it. It was in Spain. Don't ask me to say it. I don't know how to say it, okay? But he began work in 1881, and every day of his life, he just, once that work began, he slept within the confines of this structure, and he would breathe in the dust and keep working, and he would just go at it all day long. Well, 45 years after it started, 1926, this architect and artist suddenly died. And I, as I was reading about his story, you know, I was kind of going, okay, so I imagine they completed the project and I keep reading. And I came across this sentence that said, architects and artists have continued his work. Okay, this book is written in 2015. And I went, have continued his work? Are you telling me that here we are in 20, you know, if the book is written in 2015, it's still not done? I kept reading, it said that this church is slated to be done in the year 2026. The decorative elements done in 2032. Okay, so this is a 150 year project, if I'm doing the math right, yeah. But there was a transcript of a conversation he had with somebody, our equivalent of a news interview. And they asked him, what is it like knowing that you are working on something that is going to outlive you, that you will not see the completion of it. And his answer, I thought was so interesting. He said, well, the client, the one that I'm doing this for, he's in no hurry. See, that's the perspective of somebody as we talked even last week about how sometimes life feels not clear, not fair, not yet. That's the perspective of somebody who can walk through the what in life when it's not clear, not fair, not yet. And they can say, there he is, there he is. It, it doesn't really matter about the outcome of this what because I have the who in the midst of all of it. And so I don't know what the coming days, weeks, months bring for us, but I do know this. The author of Hebrews was right as we wrap up over it. The author of Hebrews is right. You don't have to get to a point of being over it. Over it is just a sign that we've been staring at the what and hoping for the outcome of the what. You don't have to be over it because you have the who that is present in the midst of all of it. And so as the worship team comes back out right now, let me close in prayer. Thank you for being here today. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we are reminded over and over and over again of your constant presence, even when we get distracted. And thank you that you're a God who does not scream and shout at us when we look at the what of what's going on in front of us and we hope in all these different outcomes and yet you just lovingly, graciously remind us 
that you're in no hurry. That our job, all, all we have to do is look around in the midst of the what and say, there he is. There's Jesus in the midst of all of it. Because Jesus, we're reminded, endured the most horrifying what of all across. And even that, you raised him up in the midst of it so that we would have access to you. Thank you. Write this on our hearts every single day. We pray this in Jesus' name.